0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott
1: Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
2: What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we've got our SEC baseball conversation with Colin Brister. The Rebels finally won a series. Many people are saying don't let Ole Miss get hot. I don't think many people are saying that this time around, but uh, Ole Miss got a nice series win over Georgia over the weekend. Colin and I discussed that. Grayson Sanye's outing, What some of what we saw means for the future and an interesting offseason ahead for the Rebels and kind of reading the tea leaves week by week and what that means potentially for an interesting, uh, interesting offseason for the Rebels coming up. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well. Glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventor of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox, NASCAR, got Mark Harris, those guys crushing it right now. If you want to build up your bankroll for football season, check out our guys at Skybox NASCAR. You want to get into wagering a new exotic sport? They're the ones... Uh, to get you on the path to profit, as is Skybox in every sport. If you're into wagering, you need to check these guys out. They're the only way to profit in the long run. You're never going to do it over a consistent period of time with your own brain. They're the professionals. They do it off math. They are the experts in the industry. All you have to do is go to skyboxsportspicks.com, select a picks package that fits your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend just going with the year-long all-sports pass. Football season will be here before you know it. Go ahead and sign up for your skybox sports picks package today. Use the promo code RIPPEE, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippeywrites.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me. And discounted meats right now. The Rippy Right Specialist, three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go find all of your own favorites at LB's. It's the best butcher shop in the world. It's grilling season. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. He's got all kinds of delicious cuts of meat, fresh sausage, seafood. I like the fillet burgers and the tri-tips. Go find your own favorites at the best butcher shop on earth. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on the Rebel Series win against Georgia. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. You and I are still going strong. We're still doing the Sunday night shows. And the perseverance, I guess, paid off in a way is Ole Miss 1A Baseball <laughs> Series. It is April 30th, and the Ole Miss Rebels. Have won a baseball series to improve. It's <laughs> almost hard to say to improve to five and sixteen on the season, oh but they beat the Georgia Bulldogs. And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go with the whole. Don't re- let the Rebs get hot. Day. Yeah. But it, the kids. The dudes didn't quit from the mark play. Team, yeah. It was very clear that those guys have not quit in a tough year, and at least they have something to
3: show for it. Yeah, that's one thing you'll you'll never be able to question. Um, is is Ole Miss's kids play hard? Um, you know, they sometimes you can question toughness or whatever, um, but they they're gonna play hard and, and and they're gonna bring it every weekend no matter the record. Um, and it was happy. You know, I was happy to see. Look, TJ McCants has a big knock to win the game on Sunday. Peyton Shotney hits two home runs this weekend. Obviously, those two guys have had you know years that they did not expect to have. Uh, but those are the same two guys that were um, critical and very important in winning the, the national title last year. So from an old Miss fan, it was good to see them have good weekends. Um, I believe the common denominator here this weekend, though. Um, um, so I'm going to continue to do this, and we'll see. We'll see if this works. I didn't watch a pitch this weekend live. Uh, we had a game Friday night. We had practice Sunday, and I had I had to be somewhere Saturday afternoon. So I watched zero pitches live, and the Almost Rebels 101 SEC series. So uh, I'm going to take credit for this one, actually.
2: Okay, yeah, I'll give you credit on that. We'll just have to get you to go back and watch most of the games uh, on a, a re- tape delay.
3: A I watched re- some. I watched some of the replays, but yeah, yeah, not 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 much live.
2: I uh I caught uh, the uh, Friday night game live. I was in and out because I was in Dallas playing golf on Saturday, went back and watched the important parts of the Saturday game, and then had the Sunday game on during my return to air travel, which is never a great place if you're trying to get be, like, locked in. Wi-Fi is a little jerky, sure. but it was on, and I was watching it. And it was that you saw some guys who had struggled to have good weekends. So with the whole Chatigny and McCants thing, do you just have to sit them down in? what is that second week of March, third week of March, SEC play starts and say like, Hey, it's April 29th. Like finals are coming up. We only have a few games left in the season and just like play a long con on them. Because Kanye has four hits this weekend. McCants has the walk-off. They both performed better after really tough years. You saw the same thing last year. Do you just have to play a long con on them, change the clocks and the dates in their houses, like get their teachers involved? I don't know what else you do, but, like, this is two years in a row this has happened. Unfortunately, this time it's too little too late from a team standpoint.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, it's funny. Uh, I was talking to a buddy about this after the game. You know, they need to go – the the way the – the way the bubble and all that crap looks, and I, I look—I want to be very clear. I, the, Ole Miss is not making the NCAA tournament, boring, something insane. But the way the bubble looks this year, they need to finish with the same record they did last year to make the tournament. Like twelve and eighteen this year probably gets them at least into the conversation if they do something in Hoover. Uh, now, are they going seven and two? Probably not. But it is kind of funny that they're in the same spot and the amount of games that they need to win to get into the conversation. Again, I don't expect this team. Because there's no real data to show that they can uh, to go seven and two, but it is kind of funny the uh, the situation that they're in compared to last year.
2: Yeah, it really is, and I'm glad you brought that up because again, we're not to dive down into the what they had to do to make the NSA tournament conversation for the you know in consecutive week after we keep saying we're not going to discuss it, but it is kind of interesting that my takeaway from this weekend was good for them. They seem to play pretty yeah. decent baseball. They had a tough day on saturday but it's crazy how this whole thing works out where they enter this weekend at what is this three and fifth
3: there were three and fifteen
2: yeah and you're thinking man what a disaster disastrous season but if somehow they had pulled out the saturday came too, and Pull off a
3: sweep. It's not that crazy. At it that is moment. not
2: that crazy. That's a six and three <laughs> finish to get you in the conversation, which probably gets you into Hoover. And after all of this, all of this bad weekend after bad weekend, after bad weekend, it's not totally crazy to say now, given the personnel yeah. that they're going to have and not have, we'll get to the Hunter Elliott piece of it in a minute. <laughs> it would still be far fetched, but just the mere base level idea of six and three finish after all that, had they swept this weekend is not totally insane.
3: The issue is, and I'm, I'm looking at it now. Um, their issue is going to be that they, well, their RPI is not good. And again, we're going to be putting the cart way before us. The RPI is 65, which is way out of the league. And they finished with Missouri, Auburn, Alabama, all top 50 RPI teams, and maybe some work in Hoover. But again, I, I don't even feel comfortable going there because we're talking about a team that has won five SEC games now having to win seven of their last nine. They would literally have to win two more than they've won in 21 games. So um, don't really feel comfortable going there yet. But, no, um, I think, look, if, if if for me, right, the goal has to be to get into the SEC tournament um, because, look, there's a team that, that makes a run every year. Kentucky got to Saturday last year as, I believe, the 12 seed. Um, may, maybe that's no, I don't, I'm not sure they were in the 12 seed or not, but they were certainly a very low seed and were able to get into the. I think they actually may have been the 12 seed. And I think were able that's to correct. Get, I'll look it up. I think they were the first 12 seed to actually win a, win a game. Um, but you know, they get to Saturday and you, you know, if you're at Saturday, you got your two wins away from winning the thing. And at that point, just win the tournament and get the automatic berth. But I think it, look, this team is right now um a game and a half essentially uh with you know losing the top to state out of hoover i think and you know you play a team that that you're um behind one game of in missouri this weekend so look just get this team to hoover and, and see what happens and i think that needs to be the goal um just get to hoover win on tuesday and go play baseball and see what happens after that what if this team wins the SEC tournament, gets into a regional? I'll, I'm I'm done with this podcast if this team makes a regional. By the way, I'm not I'm not doing it anymore. Well, what would the I've point got way it? too many sound bites. I
2: was going to say, what would the point of us doing a podcast after? Like that would just get to the point where we're like, well, should we just not do this until? <laughs> like it would just defy like all all logic. If and this people. team makes the postseason. I'm done. Yeah, I just, just, it just, yes. And we will, uh, maybe we'll ban ourselves. We'll do like a two, we'll do like a, a week long suspension next year. Um, if that does happen, uh, just disavowing every take we've had for the last two regular seasons. But again, as we, uh, kind of fantasize about that pipe dream, I do think you're right. I think, the, uh, the goal is to get to Hoover and then, like you said, just kind of see what happens. And you, know, as you continue out this season, you've already seen some you know, smaller signs of it throughout the last couple of weekends, but you're kind of seeing what you have from a roster standpoint. And I do think that is important in a year where there's going to be a, a ton of turnover roster wise. I, I was talking about this with someone the other day. I can't honestly now remember who that was because my memory just apparently keeps getting worse and worse by the day. But it means you're getting old. Yeah, it does, which is not, not great to not great to hear twenty I feel like I should still be remembering stuff at twenty eight, but maybe maybe this is where it starts. Well, I it, turned it
3: thirty in three weeks, so I, I get to have that excuse at least. Oh man, the big three oh. Yeah, yeah, yay me. <laughs> Birthdays
2: are not very much fun past like twenty No, I don't enjoy them. Um, no, I spent mine in an airport and honestly, if I had not gotten like a few texts in that evening, I swear to God, I would have forgotten that was the case. I was just trying to get where <laughs> I was going and then I would get a text back. Oh, that's right. I did turn 28 today.
3: <laughs> it sucks, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Yeah. I didn't die for a year.
2: Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Another trip around the sun. Great. Right, let's do it again in 365 days. But in a year where you're going to have a lot of turnover, you're starting to get to see at least kind of what you have. And some guys. Um, one of the, the you know bright spots this weekend is that Grayson Sonnier was really good today. Yeah, he was. In the finale. The game didn't end up like looking like they would Miss rode a uh, st- you know quality outing to a win, but in a way they did. He goes six innings. He strikes out six, no walks, Warner and run on two hits. That'll get it done any day of the week. And hey, Ole Miss gave him a little run support. I believe they scored five, no four runs, excuse me, before he was ousted from the game and then added on it. Yeah in the bottom of the sixth, And I thought Mike pointed out um, something that I kind of saw too throughout his start that there was difference with the difference between maybe some issues he's had in the past. One, the most obvious, he threw 77 pitches and was very efficient to get through six innings, 51 strikes. But the fastball yeah. command was better than at any point it probably has been since he's been at Ole Miss.
3: So, yeah, I com- completely agree. It's hard. All right. So so I just just a theory, and you can tell me maybe if I'm crazy. You're putting the kid on the weekend as soon as he gets gets to um, campus, right? So everything that he works on in his midweek bullpens, he obviously then takes to a weekend roll through what, the first seven weekends of the year, first eight, whatever he was in the rotation for. Well, he, he pitches with, you know, what he's worked on on the weekend when he's, you know, emotions and anxiety and all of that stuff is sky high and then things begin to go haywire. Well, it kind of looked over the past few weeks. He's pitched in the midweek and, you know, in the course of his bullpen because I don't believe he had pitched on the weekend, um, even in relief. So he gets to go work on what he's worked on in the bullpen in a much lower stress role in the midweek, and then gets to kind of perfect that and then brings it back to the weekend. So I kind of think that maybe I'm crazy. I think that may have had something to do with it. Is they what he's worked on has translated into lower stress games. Um Within the midweek, and 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 now he's taking that to the weekend, and we were so able to see the benefit of that today.
2: What is the? I, I, that's an interesting theory, and I, I I'd, I'd like to play it out a little more as someone who coaches baseball. What is the psychology of that? Because def, you're, there is definitely we've seen way too many examples of it, even just since we've been doing this sure. podcast of guys starting out in high pressure, high leverage situations, whether it's a weekend starting role or the back end of a bullpen, it not go well them go to the midweek, them get some lower leverage situations, it work out well, and then come back. I'll ask it to you to start it about it to start it this way. You mentioned on a week to week basis when he was the starter, the a weekend starter, he's just working on you know, he's taking what he's worked on in the bullpen and using that every week. What's the difference between live action and
3: lower leverage action in games like that and inner squads? Um so especially within SEC play um and, and inner squads at all. You know, certainly you're playing an SEC team there, an SEC hitter, so it's a little bit different there. But uh, once you enter SEC play, man, it's in, the higher level in baseball you go, mistakes get punished harder and harder, right? So, you know, you make one mistake with fastball command to Vanderbilt or you make one mistake with fastball command to Florida, they hit it off the scoreboard. Well, you make that mistake with Memphis and maybe the kid gets it, you know, lets it run in on his fist and hits it foul and you don't get punished as much. Allows you to get more confidence, and maybe you're you're then you're able to get a, a, against a Vanderbilt and a Memphis. That's that's certainly part of it, and especially with him, with I believe you know the the fastball command was certainly one of his biggest issues. Well, in these lower leverage roles, when you're playing a Memphis or you're playing somebody of that caliber, um, you're not going to get punished as much for mistakes. You know, even Mississippi State last uh, he was good on Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, so you get to perform against those teams and it gives you some confidence and he lets you know, Hey, this is, this is working against college hitters. Let me go try this against, you know, a Georgia or whatever. And you don't, and and, and what you know, what you've worked on in the bullpen is translated to success um, rather than, you know, he's had to go do this on weekends. And it's just different on the weekends. It just is. I can't, I can't put it into words and we can say it shouldn't be. uh, But it, just is there's there's not ten thousand people there screaming and losing their minds and drinking beer and right and left field when you play Memphis on a Tuesday night. Um, there's idiots like me there. When you play Purdue or whatever on the weekend, there's ten thousand people there, and it's easy to to kind of get freaked out or to get rattled, especially as a freshman, and to let everything that you've worked on kind of go to go to crap. And and then all of a sudden you've walked five people in three innings.
2: Which and that makes sense, but like even I was asking just like literal inner squads because you would think like I, again I know how like I generally know the answer. I'm yeah, just to, like tease you up a little bit here. Those are other SEC hitters, but obviously one of the differences, what you just said, crowd in the stands. Um, it's also just the fact that they're there's no like they're not scouting you. Um, they're not scouting against you
3: and things like that. I guess they are your teammates. They so you know you. And inner squads are. Weekend scouting inner squads are so controlled too. Like you're going to throw this pitch in this situation. I watched one inner squad, and I can't remember if I think it was Rollison, where they made the kid. I'm pretty sure this, this this is exactly what happened. They made the kid not be able to throw his fat or throw his curveball. He could only throw fastballs and changeups um, because they wanted him to be able to get outs with the changeups. It's it's just so controlled at that point that that it's kind of different and it's kind of hard to tell what would have actually translated to a game. That
2: makes sense. And so the lower leverage aspect of that, like, do you think when they come back, because now we're starting to see, and I, this is what I kind of wanted to spin it forward into, is he was actually pretty good against Mississippi State. He was pretty efficient. He didn't sure. really go as long, and maybe some of that was just the intention of, hey, he's going to have to start – Uh, this weekend you really rarely see the old Tuesday start Sunday start uh, very often as well but point being he was pretty efficient against Mississippi State is most of that when you go back from the midweek just a sheer confidence thing like you imagine if you're standing out there on the mound there's still people out there in the midweek it's not 10,000 people is it just whether people want to admit it or not Look, I do think midweeks have importance but is it just the sheer kind of understood but also hard to
3: quantify as you alluded
2: to earlier fact that midweeks are just not the same like does that help guys up? Yeah,
3: yeah yeah um I think so I mean we've seen it with uh Zach Phillips and Doug Nikhazy right um you know Doug obviously never struggled in the rotation but a guy like Zach Phillips goes to the midweek and, and performs and and gunner and then is able to yeah yeah so you know it's just it just is what it is you can produce and provide in, in, in the lower stress environment um then you begin to get some confidence and, and and you come back to the weekend and you do those same things, then obviously, you know, you're probably not going to have the exact same results. There'll probably still be a little bit more adversity on the weekends. But, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is I think like a guy like Sonia is he was able to see what he's working on and what he's trying to get better worked. And then he's able to have some confidence that, okay, I'm, I'm different than when I was back in February when I couldn't, you know, locate very well. I'm a different guy now because this worked against this team. And so let me go try it against Georgia. And then all of a sudden it works and maybe you've got something. And when you look at what his
2: issue was, and it was one, not throwing it in the strike zone in general, but after particularly listening to Mike's talk about it after the last couple of times, he's gone out there it was fastball command and one of the things I quickly learned as I started working in this and I think you mentioned it early on a couple times was that that's a pretty easy fix particularly when you go from like the college to the professional level but I imagine on the gauge of difficulty in terms of this pitcher has this issue how difficult or is easy this to fix that has
3: to fall on the easier end yeah um yeah, it does. Now, now some of it is like you—if they can't throw strikes at all, you're kind of screwed. But in the yeah. in that realm, if they can't throw strikes at all, they're not going to be in college baseball for the more than likely. Um, but yeah, no, if you've got a guy that's consistently around the zone, it's it's somewhat of an easy fix. Here's some of the issue, and I don't want to get off on a tangent. Some of it is the strike zone in high school is a lot bigger than it is in college, and the strike zone in college is already pretty big. Um, I don't know if you like – if you watch a college game and go watch an MLB game, the strike zone is insane compared to what an MLB game is. really Yeah. Now, some of that – and this is a different conversation. Some of that has been negated because of Trackman because now umpires are trying to actually call a true strike zone, and that's why we have ridiculously high-scoring games. That's another story. Um, So so the zone tightens a little bit in college. And another thing – and this is maybe just a theory for me. This has really nothing to do with Sonya at all – but a lot of guys in high school, because I see it, are just able to throw really hard and throw up by guys and not not have to pitch. And, and, you know, we're just worried about velocity now with some guys. And now you have to get to college and actually pitch and, and things. And I'm not implying this on signing. I'm just talking about in general with kids nowadays. Now you get to college and now you've got to pitch. And it's a little bit different when you throw that 94-mile-an-hour fastball up there and somebody hits it off the scoreboard. Then when you threw it in high school, and nobody did anything with it,
2: that makes sense. And so as he, you know, we'll see how the rest of this year plays out. But it was a certainly encouraging outing um, for the future. Not only his oh absolutely. But old misses, and so we'll kind of see how it goes. But let's just say he kind of continues on this trajectory, and he does have a strong finish to next year. It's the conversation from a team standpoint becomes a little bit weirder with whatever, you know, I don't know what's exactly going to happen to Hunter oh, Elliott yeah, and we'll go yeah. get to that in a second. But just from purely a Grace and Sonya perspective, that's got to be pretty encouraging in a year where you're going to have a ton of turnover that, hey, we probably still have something in this guy like we thought at the beginning of the year. And that could potentially be a pretty large building piece around what is going
3: to be a pretty significant overhaul. Yeah, uh, you know, look, you you look at this rotation lot next year, and if you can if you can count on uh, J T. planet and Grayson and, Grace and Sonia, that's a heck of a place to start. Um, obviously, I think I think if you're Ole Miss, right, you've got to go do whatever you can to get a front line guy. I think if it's told mess, you know, assuming Hunter Elliott, um, and I don't want to assume this, but if he's not able to go next year, which I, I have no idea on, um, but if you know he has to have surgery or whatever, again, no idea on that. But you've got to have a Friday night, dude, because those two guys can take the Saturday and Sunday role if they're right. So whether that's Hunter Elliott or whoever, the, the Ole Miss Rebels have got to find somebody that can throw on Friday nights because your hope is that over the next three weeks, Quinn um, – and I've started to really like Quinn. I know he didn't have great numbers and great outing yesterday, but the kid fights. Um, if you can be able, feel comfortable with JT Quinn and Grayson Sanye on the back end, um, if it's Hunter Elliott or whoever um, – You've got, if you can find somebody on Friday, you you, you may be set up okay pitching wise.
2: Yeah, that's kind of exactly what I was getting at. And I guess we'll go ahead and kind of put that, like blend the two conversations together. Sure. Hunter Elliott did not pitch this weekend. I think it was on Thursday where uh, they announced the rotation. He was not in it. And I think Mike gave a statement saying that he felt discomfort after his outing once again, which seemed to follow a similar pattern. Um, to what happened the first time and that he's going sure. to go back to the doctors again. I know I'm actually this. It's, it's impossible to approach this conversation without some version of speculation, but just, what did you make of that news initially? Um, was it surprising? What did you make of it?
3: Uh, surprising? I don't know. Um, because, you know, I watched the outing. He didn't, I mean, the velo was down. I didn't see anything, um, you know, that, that led you to believe he was still hurt, but man, look, the kid's thrown in two games this year and after each of them something wasn't right i'm not a doctor but tells me something might be wrong um that 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 rest doesn't heal again hope i'm wrong on that i don't know i don't know what the deal is i think if you're old miss i i just think you probably need to shut him down the rest of this year maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm crazy but i i don't i don't look we're not talking about a team that's 15 and 6 and going to be a national C. we're talking about a team that's five and 16 and uh it's a pipe dream to make the NCAA tournament so so if if I'm them I I think I would probably have seen Hunter Elliott maybe throw his last pitch for the Rebels in 2023 I would I would try to have him ready for 2024
2: oh yeah no absolutely I I I would almost think that's assumed at this point no matter what the outcome of him going to the doctor whatever it is they find with the lingering discomfort is I I wouldn't see a world where he would come back and pitch this year for Miss. I uh Maybe I could be wrong on that, but I, I, I very seriously doubt it. It just doesn't really make any sense for anybody involved. From that standpoint, though, I mean, look, the big elephant in the room is like, well, if it is the same elbow thing and does he need Tommy John or does he not need Tommy John, if it ends up that he needs the surgery, that would likely mean he does not pitch at Ole Miss again, correct? Again, if, oh. I'm just speculating here, but if you have that surgery in late April – I mean Maddox. It took around a year. I mean, what 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 would be the best case scenario if that were the case? Because that seems like horrific
3: timing. Not that there's ever great timing, but you get what I mean. Yeah. Know. I don't know. Um, it a, a lot of factors in that, right? Do you, Do you want to not pitch for a year and go in the draft, or would you rather come back and pitch for the year than go? Um, I I don't know what that would look like. Um, obviously, certainly hope that's not the case, and i have not heard anything regarding that, but. Um, I, I framed yeah. that the wrong
2: way. You're exactly right. Sorry. Let me back up for a second. There would be a a, a long shot to think he pitches for Ole Miss in 2024 if he needs Yes.
3: Surgery. Okay. Yes. I, I think that would probably be fair, especially um, when you consider the timing of the surgery. Um, yeah. I think that's probably fair. If, if, if it is needed, I don't necessarily see him pitching um, next year. So um, again, obviously I hope that's not the case, um, but I would like to, and obviously they don't have to tell us and, and I get all of that. I would like to know what the injury is. If if there is an injury, I would like to I like give me some medical terminology. Um I you know, without that, I don't know. Are we talking about you know the forearm? Are we talking about the shoulder? Like what are we, what are we talking about when we say discomfort? Um, so I you know, I I don't know enough to to have a decision or or decision is not the right word. I don't know enough to be able to form an opinion on, on what's going on or what's wrong. And certainly I'm no doctor from, from that realm, but um, you know, it would, once we find out more regarding the discomfort, that will probably give us a little bit more of a better idea.
2: Well, just putting the, putting the tea leaves together and I'm just going off of what Chase was able to report on the message board and going off of his story, you know, his, I believe his first uh, absence from the team was officially dubbed a UCL sprain in his left elbow. Okay. And okay. Mike's quote was Hunter still felt discomfort after his start on Saturday. So again, you know, you're having to infer a little bit there, but that would lead me to believe that it is the UCL and the UCL sprain and the elbow. Right. I mean, that, okay. that seems like a safe. Yeah.
3: Thing. Yeah. That seems like a, yeah. Safe, safe thing. And, so,
2: and I originally framed what I asked you the wrong way The And, and I'm glad you pointed it out to that degree, like that would make him pitching next year in any capacity, highly un likely. So that would, one, drastically change how you view this offseason, how you view the transfer portal, of course. From Elliott's standpoint, what would you do in that situation? Let's just play the hypothetical out. If that is the case and he does have to miss a year, again, just to make it crystal clear, just a big if, we're just guessing here. What would you do from a draft standpoint? Because that 2024 year is technically your draft year, but if you miss it, like, how does the leverage work? Are you uh, really affected by COVID? What would you do?
3: So, all right. If I'm him, you know, you're through the 22 year. That's your freshman year. You technically can't redshirt this year, I don't think, because you threw in a game too late in the season, probably you get a medical. Um, and then next year, obviously, you would get a medical. Um, I mean, if I'm him, I, I think I come back because you still
2: have a year um, maybe, of leverage because of the medical,
3: yeah, I think I'll probably come back and and show that that hey, I'm good because people are gonna ask I mean, we're talking about a guy now that was, hey you now he was really, really good, but he was only eighty nine ninety one. I think there's more velo in there. um so you're you're being drafted basically off that freshman year, right with a with a, with a with a surgery involved. So if I'm him, I would think that for the twenty twenty five season he would come back now, I don't know that. I have no knowledge of any of this. Uh, but I, I would think if it were me, and if it was, you know, that that's what I would think I'd do is I'd want to show scouts, hey, I'm good, and I can pitch at ninety, ninety-two with this um, electric slider that I have, and this really good wiffle ball changeup I have. Um, so that that would kind of be my mindset, um, you know. If if unfortunately he did have to have surgery,
2: I would probably lean that way too. Just to guess. Again, I don't know the kid. I don't know, and I guess I mean, yeah. how much of that do you think would depend on what the <clears throat> from the professional side of things? Like, yeah, I mean, think certainly answer
3: to that. Yeah, certainly, you know, scouts and whatnot will be able to give opinions on, hey, this is where you're going to go. But, um, you know, so so certainly, you know, wh- whatever they say would, would factor into it for sure, I would think.
2: And so that's that's another p- piece of it. And so there's so many moving parts heading to what is sure to be, you know, as bad as the season has been for Ole Miss so far, despite kind of the silver lining this weekend, yeah. um, yeah. is going to be a very, very fascinating offseason um, in a number of of different ways last thing on the elliot piece of it obviously he i mean we just outlined what happened he feels discomfort again like do you think there's it like would just again i'm asking you to kind of guess we don't know exactly what the medical information is but like if he shut down for a longer period of time than the eight weeks or whatever it was that he was shut down the first time is there reason to believe that could come back differently like that could be that could have a different effect and surgery would need to be avoided you know, does that make any sense at all? Like, I, I'm just curious why they went with the eight weeks and then brought him back. And then the same thing happened. Like, would, would more time off allow it to heal more? I, I don't know. Yeah.
3: yeah, that's the that's the thing is, you know, from my point of view and, you know, from 30,000 feet is obviously I'm not around them every day. But, um, you know, if, if the doctors here, – here's my thing, right? I believe if a doctor looked at his arm and said, hey, he needs to have surgery – would have had surgery. I agree. Because, because here, here's my thing. We're not talking about a kid that, that was going to be drafted after this year. We're talking about a kid that's going to be drafted in two years. So if the doctors looked at his arm and said, Hey, need to have surgery on that. I think they'd have gone ahead and done it. Um, could something have possibly happened on the Saturday against LSU where now they look at it and it's different. I don't know. Um, but I don't believe that the, the guy in the Ole Miss dugout and, um, you know, the, the medical staff there don't operate in the kid's best interest. Uh, they're they're going to do what's right by the kid, um, as far as my knowledge. So I, I believe if, if this was a thing where he needed to have already had the surgery, he would have had it. And if he does need to have the surgery, he will have it. Um, so that leads me to believe that he didn't need to have the surgery. And hopefully the case is that he still doesn't and that just some more rest and more time will be able to heal that. Um because you, know, look, you look at last year with, with Hunter, um, he threw more than he probably ever had in his life. I mean, he was a weekend starter in the SEC. He pitched to June twenty he pitched on June twenty-sixth in a national title game. And then went and pitched for Team USA, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe the kid just needs a good bit of time off. And and I think that's more possible, you know, more possible than people want to realize is because everybody's talking about surgery and whatnot. And I get that because, you know, you've seen it with Mallets, you've seen it with Hoagland, you've seen it with uh Mydex. I get that. But, but I, I truly do believe if, if they needed to have the surgery, uh, that it would have been done by now. Again, no real insight on that. That just kind of, you know, from, from the way Ole Miss has handled things before, I believe that that would be the case if he, if he did, in fact, have, would have needed it eight weeks.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: All right, that's Colin Brister playing doctor. Please take those completely <laughs> to heart. No, I think that's a good and thorough explanation of it. I, I agree. It's a complicated situation. It's just kind of, you know, I don't know. There's only a select amount of people who know for sure. Right. But that's a, To to bring back to what you said at the top, that is ultimately what I'd default to as well. If he needed surgery and this was some sort of last-ditch last attempt to avoid it, I think he probably would have just gone ahead and had the surgery. It would have just made yeah. more sense. For everyone involved, particularly his personal future, long term. So who knows? Hoping for the best for him, for from a personal standpoint, and hopefully all of that's avoided,
3: and he's able to I have a healthy. I have a hypothetical question, not sure. hypothetical. I have a question that I want to talk about, and I I don't know the answer, and I, I'm going to see if you do. Uh, we talk about in our, our uh, transfer portal and whatnot, and, and what this team needs to add. I think it's it's probably time to discuss this. What is Ole Miss's NIL situation, and can they get good baseball players with what they have NIL-wise? Because there are teams throughout this league, I can tell you, that are investing NIL-wise in baseball. Um, So what do you you know anything of of where Ole Miss kind of stands in that world? Not a clue. I'll be completely honest with you. I really don't. (laughs) Um someone asked me that today and, and I I said the same thing. I don't know. I may try to find out because I think in the reality of the world is that that Ole Miss is going to have to be uh someone invested in that if they're going to get good baseball players.
2: Yes, I, I agree. I mean, I think this is a totally fair conversation. I think it's something you'll probably start hearing more murmurs of as the season ear- nears its merciful end for Ole Miss. Because that's what this offseason is going to be about. It's going to be about roster construction and how do you make sure something like this does not happen again next year, in a year where you're already going to lose, you're going to enter a little bit of a dip in the talent cycle. You're going to lose a lot of the returning production that you had from the previous two teams. And this is kind of a whole different world that we operate in now. I say we, just all of us that are around college baseball, follow college baseball, and of course the teams within it and the players within it and coaches within it as well. But I'll I'll put it to you this way, obviously LSU was kind of the poster child of how you build a team with NIL, right? True. Sure. Who, who are the other ones you heard about? Florida? Um,
3: yeah, Florida well, somewhat.
2: Look at them; they go and get Hurston Waldrop, they go and get a couple other pieces, and they're they're doing pretty well on a team that you didn't really know how good they'd be. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, um, Vanderbilt wasn't Arkan- really one of them because they're still Vanderbilt. Arkansas's Arkansas. A-
3: yeah, Arkansas is a little invested. Um, Florida, Florida is certainly invested. Um, South Carolina, I believe, is a little bit invested. Um, How many there seems having bad years? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good point. Ole Miss got to get invested, and I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying that. Um, if they want to get good players, and they're going to need some good players, they've they've got to uh, they've got to be invested uh, from baseball and NIL standpoint, especially when you factor in the uh, the scholarship issues that they have. And
2: you probably would have heard more about this already, and this conversation would have probably already been more prevalent had last year not happened, and particularly if it was a new baseball coach taking over the program, right? Like sure. I, when I say, last year not happened. I guess you know, and they fizzled out you know, before getting to Omaha or before getting to the super, I think you would have heard a lot about this more. We just really haven't because it's been a very strange couple of off seasons for Ole Miss last year, you know, they're celebrating winning the trophy. And so now you think you're going to finally have that. I don't know where they're at from a baseball NIL standpoint, but you know, even if it doesn't really come to light, like where they're at as the the roster and team is getting built, the proof is ultimately going to be in the pudding. Like they need to go get a couple of major dudes from the portal and if they are able to do that, then they're probably pretty well off and at least healthy from a NIL standpoint. And if they're not, you have to think that had a play a factor to some degree. Cause I don't think Mike Bianco granted the portal aspect being new, forgot how to recruit dudes who are good at baseball.
3: No, no. Um, uh, Michael Nitt and Carl after you're really, really good at their jobs. Um, and, and, and they know what talent looks like and have brought in um, consistently brought in guys that can play baseball. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's just, it's gonna be interesting to see because I think I think our frankly, I think our answer, uh, we're gonna get our answer about where all this is from an NIL standpoint, uh, this offseason, because if they have the money, trust, they are going to spend it because I don't think it's a secret to anybody in that building that they need to go get good players. Um and, you know, however that goes about doing it. Uh, they're going to do it. And so if they've got the, the resources to use and to spend, I, I certainly anticipate that they will be using them and spending them uh, come this offseason.
2: Yep, I, uh, I I agree. And I, I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out for them. Um, what did I want to go to next? Oh, I don't know, not much from the other two games. I mean, the Saturday game, they did have, we talked about, men. you could really kind of maybe hypothetically do a what if if they did it. But walks yeah. kind of hurt them, and they were really bad with dudes in scoring position. But the walk-off win on Sunday was kind of proof of, hey, these guys haven't quit yet. A very cool photo shot by someone on the old yeah. photography staff. It wasn't McCoy. I'd be the first one to give my guy McCoy credit. Chase pointed out it was someone else. I couldn't figure out who it was. But a very cool one on the last play, Utermark. Um, I thought he was out, like I couldn't see in real time that the ball yeah. had dropped. So I was like, What is this guy on? Like, this is definitely going to review. And then it was clear <laughs> that the ball had come out and that they'd won the game. But hey, a cool moment for McCants and Utermark for uh, you know, McCants, he'd had a really tough year and they went a walk off eight to seven. But when they hit the two run home run to tie the game in the night, oh inning, my god, I just like, it would have we would have. I think we would have spent the first 45 minutes of this podcast probably doing our snake draft of the top 10 most ridiculous ways to lose a baseball game, and how many of them would they check off the box over the last nine so they, That would have been all I, I had
3: for you for content. I'm, I'm, like, keeping up with it at practice, and they go up 5-2, uh, and then I look at it and it's 5-5. Five, five. And then Leger gets the hit, and it's 7-5, and I'm like, oh, we're okay. And then it's 7-7. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, can somebody get it out?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's that's part of what you knew would probably plague them with, with the injuries this year. It's like they're probably going to be pretty limited in the bullpen, but, man, it is made for some head-scratching Sunday games for sure. Um, Another note from the weekend, Riley Maddox came back and pitched an inning. He yeah. looked pretty good in that first inning. He came back, Um, gets them out of a jam. Velocity, from what I noticed, was 90-91. Threw a lot of breaking pitches, I believe. They had first and second two outs in the eighth. Or No, excuse me, he came in in the seventh. Um, and the last guy he gets out of, we've all three of those were breaking balls. Uh, I think he got the benefit of a call to say the least on that last one. But hey, he looked pretty sharp and you know, looked pretty healthy from a return from injury standpoint. That was a guy that had gotten into the mid 90s last year. You didn't really see that. Yeah. I didn't necessarily anticipate to see that. Um, from him in his first you know live pitches back but how do you think that's kind of managed like when do you should you expect if all goes well with his return
3: when do you think the velo comes back I don't know it's it's kind of different for different guys I would think you know the, the more we get into May maybe we see a 91 92 and uh maybe you know by the if they're lucky enough to make the SEC tournament you see 9293 again um look it's it's only been 12 months since the surgery and this is a surgery that Um, sometimes takes guys 13, 14 months to come back from. And I'm not saying Ole rust is rust is recovery. They most certainly have not Um, guys recover at just different rates. But I guess, I guess my point is the uh, there is still some time that he's not going to be, I'm not saying he's a hundred percent physically. He's not a hundred percent of what he was before he got hurt. I don't think anybody would um, argue with that. So, I, I would say over the next month and maybe into summer ball is 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 when you'll start to see that tick back up because I, I certainly anticipate maybe i'm crazy here but i certainly anticipate they'll try to get him um on a summer team and and let him throw a good many innings so that he's ready to compete next fall i would think so
2: too is some of that just like having like easing the guy into having the confidence to go back and just
3: let it go again yeah some of it's that and and some of it is man the last time you threw a pitch on uh you know on a mound is is you had to take a year off um you know and and some of it is just you know it's kind of the same way with with ACLs right um the first time you you cut after you tore your ACL you're you're kind of nervous and you're kind of you know uh hesitant kind of cautious to be able to do that so some of us that and some of it is look I mean I see this with 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 our guys and, and obviously I coach you know in high school baseball but here's some of it um you know, we we have guys in March that, that are throwing 80, 81 miles an hour that are now throwing 84, 85, 86, because the more you throw, the more confident you are in your mechanics, right? And the more confident you are in your mechanics, the harder you're willing to throw because your body tells you, hey, I'm going to be lined up and everything's going to be at the home, at, right at home plate uh, because you have more confidence in yourself. You're not trying to guide the baseball. So some of it is just going to be a time element.
2: Where do you weigh in? So I saw uh, I, I this actually came across while I was on the plane today on my Twitter feed. Uh, Jay Powell, former uh, Major League pitcher, pitched at Mississippi State. He was actually the high yeah. school baseball coach at uh, JA while I was there. Nice guy. Um, hell, I don't know. At some point this summer, I may ask him to to expand on his thoughts on this. But he kind of, and he's obviously, I would imagine, a little bit of an older school guy given the era that he played in, um, and where he is now. But he was quote tweeting something, and like Kendall Rogers had said something about the sheer number of injuries across major levels of baseball is eye opening. And he was, he kind of had a snarky response and said, Nah, just throw it harder after three, th- spending three weeks in the Cape this summer. I see the problem. Kids have zero guidance in college. No one can, no one pitches, no one teaches pitch to contact. Most of them throw 96 but throw 78% sliders which i thought was interesting of course like the no guidance is probably a little strong but where do you stand on the whole velo these kids throw too hard issue
3: um all right so i i could go i could go on for a while on this um i believe that we have taken a and and it's going the other way now uh but for so long um as coaches we 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 told kids hey it's okay to not throw hard it's okay. if you, you can locate your fastball. Um, you can locate your, you know, 78, and then I'm talking about high, from a high school perspective. You can locate your little 77-mile-an-hour fastball on the outside corner at the knees. Throwing hard doesn't matter. Throwing hard doesn't matter. No, throwing hard matters. Like, it, it, it. I promise you, you offer me a guy that throws 85 down the middle or 75 on the outside corner. I'm taking a guy that throws 85 um, in, in high school baseball. And, and you know, it, that it, the same uh, proportion of – applies to college baseball i'd rather have 95 down the middle than 85 on the corner um because it's harder to hit now we've gone too far in that realm right like we've gone too far of hey hey this guy can throw 95 now um we've got to teach him how to pitch and not just throw hard i i think there is an element of that um no i think jay has a really jay powell has a really good point um you know, it, it, I, I was it on Twitter because I'd like to know exactly. I know you read it, but it kind of broke up on me. What what exactly? Yeah, yeah. it's did
2: uh, he say? on Twitter. It's a, at Jay Powell 39. And then he has a uh, follow up point, like the second part of the thread. I'll just read that part of it again to you. And again, this was not let me take, uh, let me get Colin to take uh, Jay Powell to task uh, randomly on the <laughs> podcast. He just said he had a, it made me think about it some. And I know you have thoughts on it too. The second piece of it was pitching to miss barrels leads to high intensity high pitch count innings low innings equals blowouts. It's the probably we might need to get our guy, a comma, uh, rep, but uh, you see a kid on Twitter repost making a hitter look stupid on a swing, but gives up five and in two innings. We're importing importance on the wrong thing.
3: I don't know if you followed that. Okay. All right. Um, so what I kind of think he is saying is that yes, you can, you can kind of overwhelm guys at 95, 96, Um and, and, again, I, I'd have to go and read it, but you can kind of overwhelm guys at 95, 96, and you throw a nasty slider. Um, but, you know, as a pitching coach, I'd rather have the guy roll over to second base on the second pitch. You know what I mean? Because you yes. you you you, you, lo- you located a fastball. Well, I, under, I understand that completely. Um, because here, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd with this, but the more pitches that you throw, the more likely they are to for, you know, you to – Hang a curveball or, or miss location very badly on on a fastball, and they hit it off the scoreboard. So there there is an element. Yes, completely agree with him that that, that we haven't taught kids to pitch to contact because hey, you know, um, a ground ball to short on the second pitch is really good too. Now, where I'll tell you this as and, and I'm just talking. This has really nothing to do with college baseball. Um, go watch a high school baseball game and especially maybe at the lower levels defenses aren't great So as a coach I need my guy to look you know most most guys in high school tell guys hey don't strike out put the ball in play right, right? that's what they tell they, that's what they tell offenses well what's the exact reciprocal of that from a pitching perspective they don't want you to strike out because they want high school defenses to make plays right yeah well if I'm pitching I want to strike you out because I don't want my guys to have to make plays. So yeah, we we have as 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 coaches decided that hey, we need to be able to strike people out um, instead of getting ground balls too short and third, and that is where because of that high school element, um, pitching coaches in college have to do a really really good job of being able to say hey, we don't we have guys that are going to make routine plays on a very very consistent basis. You don't have to strike everybody out. Jay Powell is one thousand percent correct there. They've got to be able – you have to be able to get weak contact early in the count because the longer you stay out there pitching in college baseball, the more likely you are to miss location with a 93-mile-an-hour fastball that ends up off the scoreboard. So, yeah, he's completely right. There has to be guidance. There has to be an ability to teach kids how to pitch to contact um, when they get to college because in high school, they are – it's hey, strike people out we need you to strike people out because we can't guarantee that routine plays are going to be made on a consistent basis, if that makes any sense. I'm sorry, I got a little long-winded there.
2: No, it does. That was a great explanation, I thought. And, again, this was just two straight series of tweets from a guy, like, kind of sort of know that made me think. And I I thought that you added some interesting points to it as well. The last thing on this, you mentioned – and I could kind of see this trend already where you mentioned, you know, like it always used to be kind of pitch to contact. It doesn't matter if you throw hard, and now it's very much overemphasized. You're not teaching guys how to pick – what do you think the – the uh, clearly, it's just like a, any other thing in life. If you have one extreme and then you go to another extreme, it eventually probably simmers down somewhere in the middle. Sure. What does that middle look like to you? Like, it, it, it's likely not just dudes throwing softer, but probably yeah. less of an emphasis on v like. What do you think that looks like as it kind of finds a happy medium?
3: Um, I kind of think we're headed there in baseball um, now. Maybe I'm crazy, but when I watch the Major League Baseball game this year, because I, I do watch a good bit of MLB when I have the opportunity – I don't necessarily see guys like I watched the the Astros and the Phillies for a, for a decent part of um, the first five innings today, and I watched the the uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I watched the left-handed hitter um, leadoff guy for the Phillies. First at bat of the game, man, he's just fouling pitches off, just fouling pitches off. It didn't look like the tr- true three outcome that you know we had yeah. seen. And I kind of noticed that throughout baseball when I when I watch it is it it's kind of reverting or getting away from. Hey, home run, walk, or strikeout? Like it? It looks which they tried to do
2: with the rules.
3: Yeah. So it 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 looks like the happy medium is coming in there. Look, I I have a lot of dumb opinions. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm willing to acknowledge that. But we're talking about guys like Hunter Green, right? Like that are throwing 102 and 103 consistently. Yeah. We're talking about guys like Ben Joyce that can run the fastball up 105, 106. I don't know if you like like how much like. Science with baseball, you've dug into. We're gonna get to a point if these dudes don't stop increasing velo that it's physically impossible to hit the baseball. Like I, we're not far from that point. When when a guy goes up there and throws 110, and you can tell me I'm crazy, but Ben Joyce threw 107 miles an hour or something last year. I don't. That's not impossible that somebody is going to do that we're going to have to completely change the game. Like we're going to have to back the mound up at that point because it's going to be physically impossible to hit a fastball. Um,
2: I'm with you. I, that's something I thought about a lot. Cause you think about it. I mean, what it's seven, eight years ago, if a kid hit a hundred, it was like, Oh my God, like this will be on. Yeah. And now that doesn't really happen anymore than you're right. You got Hunter green and then you've got Ben Joyce. And I've thought about it a lot. I was like, well, how fast is too fast to where this doesn't become fair or safe to the hitters, like
3: 115. Yeah, like I mean, there is an element of it's physically impossible. You know what I mean? Like it does take time to relay to your brain, hey, that ball is in the hitting zone and your brain to send messages to your fingers to swing that bat. And then you actually have to swing the bat at the ball. Like I don't we're not yeah, but if we these guys keep continue to throw as hard as they are, we might get to that point. And I'm not advocating backing the mound up right now, but I'm telling you, when somebody comes out there and throws 112, and again, don't call me crazy for that happening because I see a guy throw 107 right now. Um, and we talked, like you mentioned, 100 was insane five years ago. I know. Um, we're talking about like having to change baseball at that point. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what the the. I'm hopeful that there is a happy medium from a pitching standpoint of, hey, throwing really, really hard is cool. Um, but one, like, you know, we've got to be able to throw strikes on a consistent basis. Um, and like like Jay Powell said, get ground ball outs so on second pitches instead of just being able to throw 110. Um, and, I, and I think we're probably headed there. I will say this. I think Major League Baseball is in as healthy of a place as it's been in a long, long time.
2: I love the new version of major league baseball between the pitch clock and the, uh, and the uh, no, no shift. I mean, look, I'd add. Oh no, no, no. Call. See,
3: I'm, I'm out on the shift. Uh, I need, I need the shift back.
2: So I, I, I had, that's what I was about to say. I had varying thoughts on like whether that, Uh, was the right thing to do. And if like shifting is fair or unfair, but the whole collection of the rules that put up, whatever it was, whatever combination of all those rules that put out the product that they put out so far this year, I'm all in on. I've enjoyed it a
3: lot more than I have in years past. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go there. I've watched a lot more major league baseball than I usually do, for sure. <laughs> so have I? Uh,
2: I don't know why that is, and I feel like I keep hearing like anecdotal stories of that too. So we can't be the only ones. But it is kind of crazy. I mean, even just five years ago, I covered Jordan Hicks versus uh, his first major league save with the Cardinals. Yeah. It's a big deal because he had just gone straight from like single A to the bigs, and then two weeks later, he ended up getting hazed by Bud Norris, which I like witnessed firsthand, which was kind of bizarre. Um, oh, did you really? Yeah, he, like, kind of came up to him and, like, kind of five-starred him on the back because he was, like, giving his interview. And you could tell it was, like, kind of friendly. But, like, clearly this guy's ribbing him a little bit. And then a story came out when they're in, like, Minnesota. Yeah, too. I remember this. And I was like, oh, I kind of saw the preludes of this. Um, <laughs> but, like, it was a huge deal because he threw 100 in his first major league save. And it's crazy how, like, like less news-breaking that is when a guy does that now. So, to wrap this up, though, what you're saying is in 2040 when we're doing this podcast, we're like, man – Ever since they moved that mound back, you almost Miss had a guy throwing 87 who was really burning it.
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I will say this. I don't know what the like, – if we actually do see guys throwing 100, 910 I don't know what the other like solution will be because we are going to get to a point where it is physically impossible to hit the baseball if guys are throwing 108, 110 miles an hour. You know Every what I mean, like I'm if a, a d- pitching
2: ninja, I think of that more and more because not always the velocity, you have dudes moving the ball from one batter's box
3: to another. Man, it looks we are throwing, throwing the ball by the day. We're throwing ninety-eight mile hour fastballs that start off the plate and end up on the inside corner.
2: It, yes, I, it, it's I not I don't fair. Know how. I'm more impressed with major league hitters than I've ever been. Oh, absolutely! You know how they do it.
3: Yeah, like I, everybody. My favorite thing is like when the like casual baseball fan like is mad. Then somebody swung at a pitch in the dirt, and I'm like, Well, that thing started at their belt and
2: <laughs> went there in like two tenths of a second. <laughs>
3: and, and I get it, everybody's like, Well, you can see the spin, no, 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 you can't. Not in Major League Baseball, you can see it in high school, some, uh, but you you don't have enough time to see spin, you just got to react and hope your hands are good enough. So, yeah, Major League hitters absolutely more impressive to me than Major League hitter or uh, pitchers. It's it
2: is crazy. And uh last couple of things just to kind of clean this up. We'll look around the SEC and get out of here before I keep you up all night. Um, just from the weekend, uh Ethan Leger, I think he's got seven hits yeah. in the last eight games. He's now turned into he's at two he's hitting 299 in SEC play with a where is that 849 OPS? And keep in mind, you went hitless in his four co- first four conference games. So, it, again, I'm if ands or buts, but if you take those out for the better part of the SEC play, this guy's been a, what a 320 hitter with the 900 OPS. He's turned yeah. into a really solid addition for them. You know, he's a junior with another year. We talked about like you could probably count on one hand how many guys are back that are in the mix. Don't you kind of have to start looking at him differently?
3: Yeah. Um, Certainly, you know he's proven to be a good defender. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's he he's probably a worry there, right? Uh, that that maybe he gets drafted and whatnot, and goes. Um Miss certainly needs that guy to return for sure. They need to be able to pencil him in at third base next year.
2: Yeah, I just, you're right. I mean, there is a chance, like, does he get drafted and go on the year that he has leverage? And I just, he started off the year so poor. I don't think that was a conversation that any, entered anyone's mind, but he's certainly become an asset for Ole Miss. And so, you know, that's another one to keep an eye on in this kind of musical chairs off season, but I just yeah. want to get that one in there. Um Outside of that, I mean, good for Shotenier. Kids, uh, at least mentally tough. Um, if nothing else, you can't say that kid doesn't care. Uh, gets the go-ahead home run. No, right, yeah, gets yeah. it over the center field fence. Been a brutal year, but the kid's locked in all the time. And he was the he was right there by the celebration when they won on the walk off today. And you would have thought they
3: were headed to a super or something. He 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 definitely cares. <laughs> you
2: can't knock him for that.
3: No, no, they 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 all do. They they play certainly play hard. It's just been unfortunate for them this year. Um, no, I was I was really happy for him and TJ this weekend. They they deserve that. Those are two kids that um, are instrumental to to them. Dogpiling on the mound um, in the College World Series last year. So um, yeah, no, I was really happy for them this weekend. And you know they've got one more home series, and that that probably is it for those guys, assuming you know they go pro or whatnot. Um, so yeah, good good weekend for both of them
2: let's take a quick look around the SEC before we get out of here I didn't watch any other SEC baseball this weekend which is a rare at least watch you know pieces and parts of other series no matter how busy I am but I just didn't really get around to it this weekend yeah. um so I'm kind of flying blind here just based off the results but um Arkansas goes or Arkansas hosts Am and sweeps teams, the Aggies they're uh they are now 14 and seven. Two games behind LSU, they don't have the tiebreaker in the West. They probably don't catch LSU, but they're having one hell of a year. I mean, that that I wouldn't be shocked if that's a twenty win
3: uh, Arkansas
2: team. There. No, and
3: and they've been beat up too, so that's pretty impressive from them.
2: That is, they uh, Van Horn, whatever you want to think of the guy, the dude knows how to coach some baseball. That's why he's been there such a long time. Yeah, I lied a little bit. I caught very small glimpses, uh, glimmers on Friday and Saturday of this LSU Alabama series. I looked up today, and, like, I think LSU – or, excuse me, Alabama at one point had, like, a 6-1 lead on Saturday, and I think they had an early one on Friday. Maybe I had that wrong. But I look up. They lose uh, – LSU wins 8-6, 12-8, and 13-11. I just looked up at the end of the series. I was like, wait a minute. How did Alabama not get one of these? That's a, that's a rough yeah.
3: – I feel like that's the common theme for Alabama. It's like, how did they not win the series, or how did they get swept? Like, they, I just feel like they're in every game, and then they lose. That's probably, honestly, the nail in their coffin – um so they're not 12 n- now <laughs> uh, it's and they're not they're not good um they may be having an interesting conversation at the end of this year for Alabama
2: because the three they get left is Vanderbilt at A&M and Ole Miss
3: yeah and you ain't eating Vanderbilt so uh you better get you better get you uh get you some wins against A&M and Ole Miss uh, how about uh, – you? Know, it's it's crazy. Every team I looked at the end of the
2: schedule before things got so bad with Ole Miss, I was like, you know, they could sweep them or they could definitely take two out of three. And yeah. all these teams start uh, playing well. Uh, Auburn goes to number three South Carolina, wins the first two games and really blew it uh, to not sweep. Um, they gave wow. up quite a few runs late. They lost eight to seven. I think they gave up three in the – seven. no, excuse me. Yeah, three in the seventh to blow that game mm. – it would have been a sweep, but uh all of a sudden Butch's team's nine and twelve, and every time you're like, "Oh man, they're going to be one of the
3: worst teams in the conference." They're just not. Like it happens. Yeah, they're not because the guy coaching them's really, really good at his job. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure Auburn will sneak in at fourteen and sixteen and be in a super regional in a game three and maybe go to the College World Series because the guy that runs their program's really, really good.
2: I hadn't talked about state much post the Ole Miss series, but they lose two out of three last weekend against Auburn. Really, really feel like they blew that one, the two losses. Every game was a run-run game, one-run game, and then yeah. they get swept at Tennessee this weekend. They're at They're, done. They're a game at Ole Miss in the race for Hoover. They're officially out of it now, I would agree with you, but you mentioned Butch Thompson, good baseball coach from the state of Mississippi.
3: Hmm. Yeah, um, you know, State finishes at LSU, Arkansas, and A&M. Whew, good luck. Yeah, good luck. Um, I think the Rebels actually may overtake them when you talk about the the schedule remaining. Um, man, I don't – look, I don't like about especially guys in the state of Mississippi losing their job, but he misses two SEC tournaments in a row. It's it's at least got to be a conversation, right?
2: Yeah, it's like, how does that happen?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you this, if Mike misses two SEC tournaments in a row, it's probably a conversation at Ole Miss, I think. He's not. They're not going to do this again. And I don't necessarily I think they're actually going to make the tournament this year, uh, the SEC one, to be clear. Um, but you know, I don't know how you can get away with that at Mississippi State after, you know, I, I just man, that's a tough tough place to be. Um I don't know. It's that's gonna be an interesting finish to the year for the Bulldogs.
2: It really, really is. That could get dicey down the stretch. And then look at it from Tennessee's perspective. They were five and ten. Tony, Vitton, yeah, all is right in the world now. To their, you know, seriously, to their credit, they sweep uh, Vanderbilt and sweep State. Now they're eleven and ten, and you look at their entire season differently.
3: Yeah, and you're like, could someone calm them down, please? Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> We've already gotten the answer to that. That answer is a firm no.
3: Yeah, I don't need them getting hot. So I don't know who they're playing next weekend, but go them.
2: Oh, I thought you meant their behavior, but yes, no. uh, yeah. it's on the field, like, that would not be great that them remaining hot. Um, But yes, uh, that behavior wise, don't think anyone's doing uh, calming them down. And then Mizzou <laughs> props to them. They will always have that early March
3: sweep because <laughs> they're done. <laughs> <laughs> they are done. <laughs> this baseball thing, it's cold. We're going to do our job
2: versus Tennessee and uh, we're out, guys. Dude, just for the official record, they were swept by Florida this weekend. Yeah. They're uh, they are just – they're out. Um, they, yeah, they're done. Yeah, they're now tied with Ole Miss record-wise. I think Ole Miss eventually probably overtakes them. They're just – Yeah,
3: but see uh, the, what's the difference with Ole Miss and Missouri going forward? Like, I think Ole Miss is probably going to win the series this weekend because I think Ole Miss probably wants to get to Hoover and Missouri's kids look at it and they're like, uh-uh, no, we're good.
2: Yeah, it's I summer am not break. Great what Birmingham. do you mean you have to miss summer break?
3: We are not going to Hoover, Alabama to play on a Tuesday at 9 o'clock. No, thank you. Tough one for your Wildcats.
2: I know just about everybody not, gets swept by Vandy, but they're coming back down to earth. They still sit okay. They're still 11 and 10, but they've got their, – man, they're finished at South Carolina, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, at Tennessee, and then Florida at home.
3: You, you got to figure out a way to win four of those to feel good. It's going to be tough. Need to win one this weekend.
2: Yeah, they they definitely do, which is crazy. You're talking about outside hosting shot, and then that happens yeah, this they're weekend. They're eleven and ten record wise, but with who they have coming up, that you're right to feel good about it. You need four, and that that's a difficult place to get uh, four. I think they can do it, and probably will. But
3: it's crazy just how your entire season changes over like a two week period. Well, a uh, sweeps like screw you up if you either way. I mean, if you do sweep, that changes everything, and if you get swept, it changes everything. Really. Especially at this point in the year.
2: Yeah, uh, no kidding. So um, that's going to do it for around the SEC. He is Colin Brister. I appreciate- wait, wait,
3: you had you had airport complaints?
2: Oh, that's right. I felt bad about keeping you up this late, but I did have I'm some good. airport complaints. So um, you have one of the greatest. Never have I ever's at all, right? You're still not on. Never taking a commercial flight, right?
3: Never flown. Never flown.
2: Some people would say, wow, that's incredible. Have you never not done that? And other people are like, this is the smartest man alive. Never do it. <laughs> Damn. Um, I'm headed to, I took MC uh, to a Heather McMahon show in Fort Worth over the weekend, uh, which is a good time, but I'm flying out Wednesday night and my flight's supposed to leave at seven. There's storms in the DFW area. So it gets delayed all the way back until it doesn't really take off to like 1130 at night. But I have two main things. One is more just the interesting study of humanity and two is the fact that our airline's a total scam. We'll start with the entity side of it. For those flights like that is basically what happens is, is there's four flights that leave Dallas every day to go to Memphis and four flights that leave Memphis and go to Dallas. And they're back and forth sure. Think like a bus going from station to station back and forth. So sure. 99% of the time, like when our, like when my plane arrives in Memphis that I'm going to get on to go to Dallas, there's people coming off that have come from Dallas, just generally how yeah. it works. So I see people coming off the plane. Of course, I'm hoping they go as quickly as possible because Memphis is not a 24 hour airport, meaning that you cannot get air traffic. Con- don- I don't think they have 24 seven air traffic control. So we get notified that we have until like 30 to get in the air or we're going to be stuck here overnight. And I'm just like, please, God, no. So please get off the plane. Well, one of the things I noticed when uh, this lady and her dog gets off the plane and look, I'm not a big, you you don't have to wear masks in an airport anymore. That's been a thing for a long time now. I'm not a big COVID shamer. COVID content is not my most favorite content of all time. If you you still see people wearing masks in an airport, I don't know what they have going on from an immune system perspective. So like, whatever, if that's your thing, cool. I'm pretty open-minded about stuff like that. I'm not shaming that act. But I see a relatively young, presumably healthy lady. Like she comes off the plane in an N95 mask with a service dog she takes the mask off lets the dog lick her face then like braces herself and touches one of the airport trash cans to like grab her stuff and i think she threw something away then pops that mask back on and keeps going I, my question is what what, what 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 are we scared of germs what is the what how does that work what <laughs> i mean am i crazy to think like what, if you're worried about the germ piece of it like should you let the dog lick your face and then you know touch the trash can and not wash your? Like, i gotta i just didn't understand it just blew my mind i was like be one thing if you're spraying lysol every two seconds it's like all right this guy's really anti-germ but like i was just like what what are you afraid of really lady
3: <laughs> yeah that's that's probably yeah i can <laughs> certainly <not>. uh <laughs> yeah okay that, that, I, I, that, did, that, I didn't even have anything the,
2: to say to it i was just like I, that that's a new one like again but, i get it if you're if you're afraid of it and you just want to keep wearing a mask cool again but like you're gonna hit the i mean the airport trash can there's no way that's the cleanest place on earth your dog's just no, getting, no, no, like, no. no kidding what it was licking under the under as it's sitting underneath the seat like i just i was like <laughs> people fascinate me sometimes and then so the did second we, thing can I we had, get off the plane in top. We did, barely, and it was largely because of what I'm getting to next. So these two, I guess, I didn't even think they were related when I first thought of them, but I guess they kind of are. So when you board a plane 90% of the time, you board in groups, unless you go on Southwest and then it's like zones or something weird. But basically, like your group one is like your first class um, you know, highest priority people group two is kind of the same type of thing. Group three, you probably have it's all based on like how much money you've spent flying with that airline through the years and yeah, what yeah. points and advantage members you have. I'm at the base level, um, of like I have an American rewards account, uh, just because I fly it predominantly, you know, being in Dallas, that's the American hub. So I'm like group five, yeah. group six, most of the time. I'd say it's pretty middle of the pack, pretty standard. But it takes forever, to particularly to board a full plane, because they do it by groups. You board one group at a time. They do active uh, duty military members, which great. That's always a good thing. But it takes forever to board these damn planes. So Friday, or excuse me, Wednesday, when I'm boarding this late at night, they make the announcement. And they're like, folks, we're going to help you out here. We need to get on here. Nobody wants to stay here. We need to do this as fast as possible. Just get in a single file line. And when the plane's empty, you're going to get on and we're going to scan your ticket as fast as possible. So there are no groups. There's no priority, no nothing. Granted, in fairness, this is not a full flight or close to it at this point. That plane boarded in like nine minutes. Everyone's seated. We're taxing <laughs> back in nine minutes in what is normally a half hour affair. So you told me, why don't we do what? My question is, why do we not do that every time? Does that just make too much sense?
3: Oh, man, that's uh, yeah, I was that, just that, bored that, that. by
2: the whole thing. I was like, normally this is a half hour ordeal. You know, it probably takes another thing to do the safety checks and then you're out. You know, from the time they start announcing boarding, it's probably 45 minutes. So you get up in the air. We were up in the air like 14 minutes after I'm standing there with my bag waiting to board the plane. It was unbelievable. That was they were getting after it. Oh, it was the most efficient process of all time. Everyone, it was almost it was like, like we were a team. Like everyone's looking at each other. It was like, a
3: Chick-fil-A, hey, Chick-fil-A drive through.
2: Yeah, let's not screw this up for everyone else, but I was like. Can we put a pitch clock on everyone boarding a plane from now on and just do it this way? This makes way too much sense. I was like, is this have we just been living a scam our you, entire lives? You take you take too long, you don't get to go. Yes, just get him out of here. Like if, if there's a weak leak in the chain, we're all a team here. We're trying to get in and out as quick as possible. If there's a weak leak, just kick his ass off the plane. Like we, we don't have time for this. So that was my thoughts. I think board aircraft boarding has been a scam this whole time, and there's there there has to be a better way, and we discovered the better way. Didn't you? So
3: this sounds like a, a little better travel experience than your one to Omaha. Didn't you have to like sleep on a hotel in a hotel lobby during your your trip to Omaha? Was it yes? Like, and, missing something?
2: No, and that had nothing to do with airlines, and was everything to do with that was the worst hotel of all time. We have a certain subset of listeners that may or may not still be listening to this particular show at this particular point that endured the same thing, whatever that oh, wow. Wyndham Suites in Omaha. Was basically just a third world country. Uh, they didn't really have like water, or food. They their so where, where did you actually sleep? Um, I got in a room. They gave us oh, in okay. a room that had previously flooded, so it smelled mildewy. But we had oh, people God. that night when we first got in, super late because we had to fly in from Kansas City because there were no like the flights were either ridiculously expensive or not available to Omaha. Yeah. So we rented a car, but that night that people, we got in, we got, somehow got lucky and got a room that was just basically a showroom that had flooded, but there were people that slept out in the lobby that night. It was, it was a disaster, but it was strictly a, that hotel, that location problem. That was the worst hotel experience I've ever had. And victims usually aren't that bad, like at all. Like they're usually pretty run. I bet, I bet they got sued over that. I would be honestly shocked if no one, if at the very least like threatened legal action and. Like the hero among us, someone needed to make sure they were shut down. No one deserved that.
3: <laughs> oh God the uh, the city of Omaha is praying to God LSU gets there this year because uh, they're gonna they're gonna miss Ole Miss and Mississippi State not being there. I think so too. Arkansas as well. Texas isn't having a great year, are they? No, they're not great. I'll be honest. Um, this is the year. I, this, so not last year. I know they were in it last year, but they were put out really quick. I didn't see them. But when they were there in fourteen, they didn't bring a like overwhelmingly great crowd either. Pretty average size. Yeah, like I mean, it wasn't poor, but they didn't impress me. Um, So yeah, I think that it, now LSU hasn't been to Omaha in six years. So if they get there, they'll uh, they'll bring a uh, bring a many of people.
2: The last time they were there was really when they played Florida. And then the title national title yeah
3: Yep, yeah, that's correct interesting yeah They so were- lo- low-key i have an opinion i have an opinion that, that maybe people disagree with lsu over the last 15 years not been that intimidating ever since the title in 09 um since 2010 not been that intimidating of a baseball program uh, i don't know how you
2: disagree with that i mean they they really have it. uh I mean, what, they've had a couple Supers mixed in. They hosted a Super – did they host a Super or Regional when Coastal went in
3: there and won? Uh, they hosted a Super Regional. Uh, but they've lost a lot of Super Regionals. Yeah, they have. I mean, they lost in uh, 21 at home to Florida State. Um, they lost in 16 to Coastal. They lost in stuck to Stony Brook in 12. Um, they've been to the College World Series three times since the national title. Um, in 09 '13, '15, and '17, yeah, um, haven't been in six years. And obviously, I know '2020 didn't happen, but not the most
0: intimidating
3: baseball program. Now, I think they're about to be again because I'd be kind of. I know that everybody does the number one stuff, and people the number one team never does it. I think I'm pretty comfortable saying I I expect the uh LSU Tigers to be in Omaha this year. They're really, 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 really good.
2: I do too, but I agree with your take. I mean, you know, particularly if Ole Miss had not had the whole get the monkey off the back thing that they finally got in like 19 and not winning down there, I never felt like yeah. that was as impossible of a place that it had kind of been cracked up to be. You know, it's still in like 14 when Ole Miss went down there with that Omaha team. I was like, man, it's always tough to win down here. But some of those years after that, I was like, man, Ole Miss just kind of beat themselves down here.
3: Yes, and they tried to do it at 19.
2: Yeah, <laughs> That's the, that Sunday game is the craziest baseball game I've ever covered, the crazy game. <laughs>
3: That was I, I. About had a struggle. You remember who had the hit? The go ahead hit? Yes. Uh, I so I can picture him. He's like five foot seven. Josh all. Josh yep. Hall. There we go. The stolen base kid. Yeah, yeah. He hit a ball right back up the middle to give him the lead, and then went to Auburn.
2: <laughs> what a world that was! All right, dude. I appreciate the time. Thanks for staying up late with me. We'll hard you next week. All right, my man. Sounds good. And that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for listening. As always, really appreciate Colin's time. Got some football, some various stuff coming up for you this week. Thank you for listening to this podcast, as always, and you'll have a wonderful start to your week.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand